Well, it is great to be all with all of you this morning here in Troy, and I'm especially honored to be invited into your home, those of you who are watching with us online right now. Um, so Sherry, Alice, Bernice, right, I'm talking to you, John, and Marsha, it's great to be with you guys. Ted and Sue and Sue and Barb and Ron and Ruth, it's great to be with all of you and everybody who's watching today from our South Campus otherwise known as the great state of Florida, right? We are all jealous, but we love you, and we're so glad that we are able to spend some time with you today. Now, one of the most amazing things that you discover about Jesus when you open up the pages of Scripture is that one of the primary reasons Jesus actually came into this world is so that you and I could actually see, right? So that we could, so we could clearly see, meaning so that we could understand who God is, and what God is like. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, what we find um, is that Jesus encounters men and he encounters women. And, um, and in those encounters, Jesus always brings to light uh, a truth about our Heavenly Father that uh, many times ends up changing the, those people's lives in incredible ways. And yet for other people, they encounter Jesus, they see or they hear that same truth, but for whatever reason, those people turn away and they never quite see what it is that Jesus wants them to see. And consequently, they not only turn away from Jesus, but they end up uh, moving away from their Heavenly Father. And so for us, the challenge for you and, and me as we move through this series together, as we um, move closer and closer to the celebration of Easter, um, the question is, um, will, will we stand in the light of truth, even when it's uncomfortable truth, even when it's uh, truth that um, maybe shines so bright that we're tempted to, to retreat back to the darkness, retreat back to those things that make us uh, feel comfortable, retreat back to those things that are familiar to us? Um, because, because what's so important for us to understand, the, the truth is, we'll never be closer to understanding God than knowing Jesus, right? If you're moving away from knowing Jesus, then you're actually moving away fr from knowing God. And if you stop short of Jesus, right? And many people in our world, the truth is, many people in our world today, they stop short uh, of knowing Jesus. But when you do that, you're actually stopping short uh, of understanding God. And so once again today, I want us to take an opportunity just to, to look at a very familiar story, a very familiar event in the Bible. In fact, if you've ever been to church as a kid, I promise you, you have read this story and you have heard this story. But it's in this story that we once again see Jesus leading us out of the darkness of this world and into the light. Uh, of his kingdom. And so um, Jesus and the disciples now are, there's 12 of them at this point, and um, once again, uh, they are traveling uh, someplace, and it's John this time who actually stops, and he, and he tells us that as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And so um, his disciples ask him a question, right, and, and listen to, to their question, because it's a, it's a great question. They say, Rabbi, Rabbi, look at this man uh, suffering. Right? Who sinned? Right? Who sinned? Why is this man, Rabbi, why is this man blind? Who sinned, his parents or him? And see, isn't it interesting how the question of why is always attached to suffering? Right? Now, this isn't actually the main point of, of this passage, um, but, but Jesus knows this is an incredibly significant uh, event and experience that all of us live with in the course of our life in, in this world. Right? We all find these moments when we say um, out loud or we say to ourselves, we say, okay, God, why me? Right? Why me? Why them? Right? God, why? Why? Why, God? And, and notice that in their question, 
um, the disciples actually assume uh, an answer. They ask a, a very leading question. Did his parents sin? Right? In other words, is the consequence of their sin to have a child that's blind? I mean, think about that for a moment. Or did, did he sin? Right? That he was born blind? And, and basically, the disciples, um, they're kind of trying out some theories uh, on Jesus with this. In Jesus' day, actually, um, many rabbis taught that it was possible to sin in the womb. So the disciples are like, okay, is that what's going on here? As strange as that sound, is that the situation? Uh, many people in their day, just like in our day, believed in reincarnation. So it's like, okay, did this man live in an unvirtuous way in a previous life? And so now he's blind in this life. Is that what's going on? Or, or Jesus, is it, um, is it that God just knew that this guy was going to be such a terrible person um, that he kind of preemptively chose to punish him because of the sin that he knew that he would commit? in this life? I mean, these are um, incredible questions, right? Isn't it fascinating um, how deeply rooted the idea is that if you're suffering in this world, that if you're having a tough life in this world, if things are hard for you in this world, that you must have done something to deserve that? I mean, have, have you ever wondered if your suffering was your fault? I have. So now Jesus is faced with this, um, this very significant, this very emotional, very important question. Who, who did this, Jesus? Who sinned? Was it this man? Was it his parents? And again, this is a huge, huge issue for us. In fact, this is probably one of the questions um, that I get asked most as a pastor, Joe, um, is the reason that I'm experiencing this right now, is the reason my family is experiencing this right now, is because I did something bad? Is that what's going on? And so I just want us to kind of pause here for a moment. I want to take a couple minutes and, and talk about this a little bit. Because there's some huge, huge problems with this, right? First, um, this kind of thinking actually creates tremendous, tremendous pride and, and self-righteousness on the part of people who are having a, a good life. Right? In fact, you, you may, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. A, bunch of, a, a number of psychological studies have been done over the year of, of people who, who are suffering and people who are connected to people who are suffering. And study after study, what they discover um, is that there is, a, there is an intentional bias that people actually want to believe that it's the person who's suffering fault. Right, that they were somehow not careful, that they didn't do um, their due diligence in, in whatever the situation is. Why? Well, because then they can know it's not going to happen to them, right? Because I'm not that way. You're not that way, right? We're going to be we're going to be more careful than they were. Number two, it's just not true, right? It's just not true to the facts. I mean, you know this. You know you know people who are, are perfectly good people, fine people who suffer terribly. And then we also know our world is filled with tyrannical people, right? Who seem to be um, happy as clams, right? They, life couldn't be better for them. And then finally, it's just, it's just cruel, right? It's just, it's just absolutely cruel, right, to, to, to say this or to think this about a person who's suffering. And so Jesus, right, Jesus, no surprise, Jesus rejects all of this. And he says to his disciples, he says, neither, right? None of what you just suggested, Jesus says, none of what you have su suggested is true. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This blindness is not the result of someone having done something wrong. And see, the truth is, it's tempting for us today in our world, just like it's tempting for you in your world, it's tempting to think that this kind of antiquated thinking just um, doesn't, you know, doesn't actually happen today. 
right? But, but the truth is, anytime we respond to someone who's suffering um, with, with something trite um, like, like this, and you've probably heard this, you know, someone you know, saying, walking up to you and saying, oh, don't worry, you know, God will heal you. You, you just need to have faith right now. You, you just need to be patient. You just need to be patient, right? Just trust God. Just trust God. Well, remember, um, God does, you know, God does humble the proud, right? See, Jesus is very intentionally, don't miss this, he is very intentionally teaching his followers, which would be you and me as well as his disciples in his day, that shaming someone in their moment of suffering is never the correct response for a person who is a follower of Jesus, right? And so if we want to actually understand um, Jesus' view of suffering, um, then what we need to do is take this section of Scripture, John chapter 9, and, and lay it alongside a very similar um, section of Scripture that's actually found in, in Luke chapter 13, um, where Jesus is talking to his followers, and, and he references two tragic events that take place. One where Pontius Pilate actually has a bunch of, of Galileans executed um, in, a, in a public event. And then a different, a different situation where a group of people die um, in, in, in basically a, a construction accident when, when a tower um, f- falls on them. And in both of these situations, right, Luke chapter 13 and John chapter 9, Jesus answers very emphatically, right? He says, no, right? I, I tell you, no, right? Because that's always the assumption, that, that, somehow, that, that, that somehow the people who are suffering are worse from God's perspective, right? That's always the, the assumption, if you're familiar at all with the story of Job, it's the same assumption that Job's friends make about Job, that it's something, the reason he's suffering is because of something wrong that he did. Right? But Jesus, Jesus very clearly says no. And then in Luke chapter 13, he adds this very important statement. He says, no, but unless you repent, right, then you too will perish. And see, it's only when we put all of this together that we actually understand and we get Jesus' incredible view and understanding of suffering. First, Jesus draws on what the scripture teaches, both in Genesis chapter 3 as well as Romans chapter 8. That that when God created the world, he did not create a world with suffering in it. In fact, he created um, paradise. Right? But when humanity turned away from God, everything in the world stopped working properly. Right? Everything went wrong. Death comes in, suffering comes in, and we end up with a world um, that just doesn't work right, and it doesn't work right for any of us. That every single one of us, that we all need a solution for sin, otherwise all of us will perish. No matter what our experience in this world is. Right, so there's a sense, Jesus is saying, in which suffering, sin in general causes suffering in, in general. If you were with us last weekend, um, we, we talked about this. And so that's why Jesus says, um, repent, right, repent to all of us, because in general, right, all of us actually deserve to have bad things happen to us, right? That's not popular, but it's true. That's the reality of our world. And Jesus is saying none of us is actually better than anyone else. But even though Jesus agrees that sin in general causes suffering in general, he denies the idea that an individual, individual suffering is actually caused by individual sin. Just like God himself rejects this idea at the end of the book of Job. Jesus rejects that same idea here. 
right? And this is so important because for us to say that sin in general um, is the reason that there's suffering in general, but at the, at the exact same time, sin in particular does not necessarily and is not necessarily the cause of suffering in particular, right? This idea right here is amazingly unique. In fact, only Jesus teaches this. So then what's the answer? Why is this man blind? Jesus says, because God has work to do. That's the answer, right? God has work to do. Everything that God has made has been broken. God has work to do. Everything is working against what God wants it to be like. And God is here right now to heal and to restore what's been broken. That's Jesus' response. Which, in fact, is actually the only way to make it through suffering. Otherwise, where you end up, and I'll tell you this from personal experience, where you end up is either I hate thee or I hate me. Neither of which is correct, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, this is not about somebody's sin. This is about the fact that I am here right now to fix what is broken. So stop trying to assign blame. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. Because God, your heavenly father, wants to do something in this man's life to heal, not to curse. And then notice what Jesus says next in, in verse 4. He, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who, who sent me. Night is coming. Right? And Jesus says very specifically, we, right? not I. So you and me, Jesus' followers, we are all supposed to be doing, this is not just simply what Jesus is doing, we are supposed to be doing the work of the one who sent Jesus into this world. While I am in this world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Right? Jesus is saying my identity, who I am, that's never going to be more apparent than it is right now. And me, the light of the world, I, this, I will never be brighter. My identity will never be clearer than it is while I am here on planet Earth. But when I leave, it's going to be dark again. And so watch me, Jesus says. Learn from me. Learn what it means to actually live in the kingdom of light. And then while the disciples, you have to picture this, as they're trying to understand all this and figure out what Jesus is saying, all of a sudden, Jesus, and he spits on the ground, and he makes some mud with the saliva, and he takes this nasty mixture, and he pushes it into this man's eyes. Right Now, this is one of those places where I, I do, I wish that we had more detail, right? But we don't. That's all we know. Jesus makes some mud with his saliva and he puts it on the man's eyes. And he says to the man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, this pool right here. Now this is foreshadowing, right? Big time, major foreshadowing. Because this blind man now has to walk by faith and not by sight, right? Do you know what he did? He did exactly what your heavenly father would like for each of us to do. He chose to trust someone that he could not see based on the stories that he had been told about this person. That's what we see happening 
in this situation, right? So picture this. There's this guy who's never seen anything before in his life, right? Completely blind from birth. This weird stranger shows up out of nowhere, makes this nasty mud, pushes it in, the, in his eyes, and then tells him that he has to go to this pool to go and wash it out of his eyes. So now this, this blind guy has to find some stranger, some random person, to take him to this pool that obviously has a, a, a big public area where he can kneel down and wash this nastiness out of his face. And as he's doing that, all of a sudden he, he realizes that he can see. And so, of course, right, of course, the very first thing that he does is he runs home to tell his family and his friends and those people who know him and his neighbors, um, the people that had formerly seen him begging, asked, okay, isn't this the same guy who used to sit and beg? And some of them said that it was, but others of them said, no, no, it only looks like him. Right? Now, when I was a kid, I used to think how ridiculous this was, right? Like, you wouldn't how would you not recognize this guy? But let's be honest, right? How easy is it to ignore someone that you see standing outside of a street corner every day? How easy is it to ignore someone you see standing outside the entrance of a store or the entrance of a, of a restaurant? Right? The truth is, is that suffering is actually very difficult to look at, which means it's very easy to ignore. And that's why this man has to tell everybody, listen, it is me. I'm telling you, I'm the guy. And so, of course, they ask the question that all of us would ask, anyone would ask. They're like, how? Right? How in the world were your eyes opened? Well, he replied. The man that they call Jesus, right? Don't miss this. Not Savior. Not Lord. Not Son of God. Not any of that. Just the man that they call Jesus. Right, he made some mud, and he put it in my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and, and wash. And, and, and again, you got to picture this, right? This man did exactly what Jesus asked him to do, even though it made no sense. That's where some of you are right now in your relationship with Jesus. You know that Jesus is asking you to do something. And you know it's Jesus who's asking, and you're trying to figure out because it doesn't make it from your perspective, it doesn't make any sense at all. But you know it's Jesus who's asking. And because it was Jesus who was asking this man, he went and he washed, and then he could see. Right? So, of course, everybody is curious, and they ask the most obvious question on, on the planet, which is also perhaps the dumbest question you will ever find in the Bible. They ask this question, well, where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. I didn't see where he went. I'm telling you, you've got to read your Bible. This stuff blow your mind. You never knew what was in there, right? So they, right, they, the crowd, they actually take, again, they take this man who was blind, who's not blind anymore, they take this man to the group of, of Pharisees. And again, this is what always sounded ridiculous to me as a kid until you realize um, that all they were doing was actually putting into practice a law that God gave in the Old Testament. It was actually a very wise law um, because God said in the Old Testament, if anyone ever experienced a healing, if anyone was ever suddenly cured of an incurable disease, then you need to bring that person to the religious leaders because the religious leaders were the most educated people in the society at that time and they would examine them and make sure this person really was in fact healed or they really were cured and so they wouldn't inadvertently um, bring on a plague or some kind of an outbreak to an entire community. 
right? So it's actually a very wise, um, wise thing they do. And this guy does what the law says. And so he goes to the Pharisees, but we discover, John tells us, there's a problem because the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was a Sabbath. Jesus, don't you know better? Who do you think you are performing a miracle on the Sabbath? Jesus, come on, really? Who do you think you are? Therefore, John tells us, the Pharisees also asked the man how he received his sight and He put mud on my eyes, the man said. I washed, and now I can see. But some of the Pharisees said, This man is clearly not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Right? And this is where we actually begin to discover um, the Pharisees' hostility, not simply to Jesus, but also to this man that's been healed. And they say, Are you sure you were blind? I mean, were you, like, really blind? Like, really, really blind? Or were you just pretending to be blind, you know, because you want some extra attention? Right? Is that what's going on? Right? They're, they're, very, they're, they're very angry right, that Jesus has performed this miracle. And see, suddenly the, the main point of this entire event actually begins to, to become clear because what we learn is that um, living in blindness certainly is darkness, but living in spiritual blindness is deadness. It's deadness. Right, so the question is, what really then is um, spiritual blindness? And I think, um, I, I think all of us probably understand, I think all of us agree, um, that there's such a thing as sight, right, that's not literal. Right, for example, when I was 17 years old and I'm filling out my applications to go to college and I, and I kind of have this moment of realization that whatever college I go to and how well I do in that college to a very large degree is actually going to set the course and the trajectory for the rest of my life. And then in that moment, kind of simultaneously also realizing um, that at 14 and, and 15, just a couple of years earlier, um, what, an, what an idiot I was because I didn't really do anything to pay attention in school. And so my GPA was like substantially lower than it could have been or, or that it should have been. And so at 17, I, I'm realizing, okay, I, I'm a fool. Right? I, I, I'm a, I am a fool. What a fool I, I was, right? That was not a lack of physical sight, was it? And in those moments, I mean, what do we even say? I mean, think about it. We say things like, okay, I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't see it that way. I didn't realize, right? What, what does it even mean? It means something wasn't real to me, right? I knew it abstractly, but it wasn't actually real to me. So therefore, we can talk about sight as literally being the ability to see things, but we can also talk about sight as the perception of, of reality because all of us believe, right, as humans, that we actually have the ability to see things beyond what our five senses tell us, right? I mean, you, you believe in justice and injustice, right? You believe that there's joy and tragedy. You believe that there's right and wrong. Of course you do. All of us do. But we believe these things are true, not because we see them with our eyes. We believe they're true because we actually believe that we can see them with something other than our five senses. We believe that we actually have a moral sense. In fact, this is what differentiates us from from animals, right? I mean, this is animals can't sense the difference. They can't see the difference between justice and injustice. In fact, the higher the form of life, right, you, you know this, you learned this back in biology, who knows when, right, the higher the form of life, the more of its environment it's, that creature is actually able to see, 
the more of reality it is able to perceive. So when Jesus says, I can give you eternal life, what Jesus is saying is that you and I are spiritually dead without Jesus. That's what he's saying. That we're physically alive and we're physically able to see, but spiritually we're dead. Spiritually we are blind. And Jesus actually makes us alive so that we can see what's happening around us, right? So what's it mean to actually receive spiritual sight? Well, until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes individually, right, until the Holy Spirit actually opens your eyes individually and personally, right, there are two things that you will never see in this world, and that is the reality of sin and the reality of grace. In fact, this is exactly what we see played out in the next part of this, um, this event that takes place between the, this formerly blind man and, and, and these Pharisees, right? They still don't believe that he's been healed, so they call him back in again, right? And this time, they make his parents come with him. I mean, he's like an adult man, and they say, go get your mom and dad because we don't believe you. Right? And so they start interrogating the, the blind man uh, again. And the Pharisees actually say to him, they say, give glory to God. Right? In other words, they threaten him with God. And they say, okay, if you don't tell us the truth right now, um, we're, we're going to sick God on you. We're going to make sure God gets you. Right? Because here's what we know is true. We, we know that you were blind because we talked to your parents. We, we know that something happened to you, but we don't know what. Um, because we do know that Jesus, however, had nothing to do with it. Um, because we know that this man, Jesus, we know this man is a, a sinner. Because, see, he does things that make no sense to us. So, therefore, he is a sinner. And sinners could not possibly perform such a miracle. Right? And then you, you know the response, right? This is incredible, right, when you think about it. This man looks at this group of people and he says to them, okay, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. I, I don't know. In other words, I, I don't know everything. I would be the first to admit it. I don't understand everything. But the truth is, I don't actually have to understand everything to believe something. I don't have to be able to explain everything to believe something. Right? And the good news is neither do you. Neither do you. You do not have to be able to explain everything to believe something. And see, the truth is, for some of you today, some of you watching right now, some of you who are here right now, for some of you, this is where you are hung up when it comes to Jesus, right? And I get that. I understand that. But you do not have to understand everything to believe Something. In fact, that is exactly what the experience feels like as the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes, right? That's what this man is trying to put into words, right? There are some things about Jesus um, that I don't quite know, but one thing I do know, he says, I was blind and now I see. Because when the Holy Spirit actually opens your eyes and you begin to see reality, 
You see the reality of Jesus' grace, but you also begin to see the reality of your own sin. And it's not like you didn't think that there was something wrong with you. It's not that you didn't think that, there, that you were perfect. It wasn't that at all. Right? In fact, you know, churches are filled with people who spend their entire life in church, and they all agree, yes, I'm a sinner. I get it. I, I know I'm not perfect. There are tons of people in church watching church on TV, and they would all agree and say, yes, they, they tacitly agree. I, I get it. There's something wrong with me. Of course I'm not perfect. But it's only when the Holy Spirit actually opens your eyes and you can actually see the depth of the corruption of of your own heart. There's all this self-righteousness. There's all this pride. You constantly want to put yourself in the best light. You constantly want people to look up to you or think the best things of you. You realize that you you, you are constantly motivated by fear. That everything you do, you do because you're afraid of something. You're always trying to make yourself look superior to to the people around you. And you remember when you used to think that you could actually handle life by yourself, that you could actually do this on your own, and then you come to this realization that there's no way. Like, there is no way. I should not be trusted to try to run my life on my own. Right, in fact, for many of you, I mean, th- this is your story because you would say that there was a, a time in, in your life, there was a season in, in your own life personally when you were at the end of yourself, right? Maybe it was because you were controlled by an addiction. Maybe you were just lost in hopelessness and des- desperation. Maybe you actually had come to the point in your life where you thought it was just going to be better to end your life because you did not see how you could continue or how you could move forward. And then something happened, right? And for some of you, it happened instantly. And for others of you, it happened gradually. Something happened. You were blind. And now, you can see. You didn't realize it in the moment. But you saw something. You saw something that happened on a cross. And you have never been the same since. You realize that it is only by the grace of a personal Heavenly Father that's invited you, who's invited you and you and me. It's only by the grace of a Savior who has personally invited us to call God our Father that we are, any of us, are where we are today all I know you would say is that I was blind and now I can see but that's still not good enough for some people is it it wasn't for these people right now we begin to see where spiritual blindness always leads Spiritual arrogance, pride. They ask him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've already told you. I mean, you, you didn't listen to me. Why, why do you want to hear it again? Did you, do you guys actually maybe want to be his disciples also? Then they hurled insults at him and they said, you are this guy's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this guy, we we don't even know where he comes from. This is amazing. 
That's remarkable, this man said. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? I may not understand everything, but even I know that nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man who is born blind. I mean, if this guy were not from God, he could do nothing. But here's what he's saying. Isn't it possible, right, isn't it possible that, that God is bigger than we've imagined God to be? Isn't it possible, perhaps, that God may actually be willing to, to do for an un, unworthy person like me what perhaps, if we're honest, maybe we wouldn't even be willing to do for a person like me? To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Right? In other words, they doubled down on what Jesus just explicitly said was not true. That, that this man was blind because he was born in sin. Right? That, that's why, that somebody had sinned for this man to be blind. We don't know who it was, they said, and we don't care. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. John tells us they threw him and his family out of the synagogue. And when that happened, the stage was finally set for us to see something absolutely incredible about the heart of our Savior. This is for you, and this is for me. Because Jesus showed up to make it clear that nobody, nobody is outside the bounds of our Heavenly Father's mercy and grace. That however you think about, however you picture, however you view your Heavenly Father, Jesus would say, don't ever think of him in such a way that somebody, Anybody is outside the bounds of his mercy and his grace. And I'm telling you, this is absolutely huge for you, right? If, if you struggle with the idea about care, God caring for you as an individual, I'm telling you, this is huge for you. If you are suffering right now, someone you love is suffering right now, one of the most powerful aspects of the ministry of Jesus is that we realize that Jesus actually took the time to ch and chose to heal people one person at a time. Now realize Jesus did not have to do this. He did not have to go from person to person to person to person to heal them. Right? So you realize why he did that? Because by doing that, he was actually demonstrating to us something about our Heavenly Father. That our Heavenly Father actually takes a personal interest in individual people. You would never know that apart from Jesus. And then listen to how this whole event wraps up in verse 35. This has actually become my favorite part uh, of this story. Jesus heard right, that the Pharisees and the religious rulers had, had thrown this man and his family out of the synagogue. And so when Jesus found him, right, Jesus actively went looking for this guy. Right? Why? Because just like the lost coin, just like the lost sheep, just like the story of that young, that lost younger brother, but remember, this isn't a story, this is Jesus. And individual people matter to Jesus because individual people matter to our Heavenly Father. We would never learn that apart from Jesus. And let's be honest. Some of you, some of us, right, some of you watching, you didn't learn that in the tradition or the environment that you grew up in, maybe the church that you grew up in. And so when Jesus 
found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now notice this is a theological question, right? This is a question that's all about spiritual sight, isn't it? Because Jesus says, listen, it's not enough. It's not enough for you to simply just kind of receive my grace in general. Because I want you to actually know me personally. Yes, the man said. Yes, I do believe. Jesus said, you, now, you have now seen. You have now seen the Son of Man. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you. And then John tells us, this whole event ends when this man who was formerly blind, in verse 38, when this happens, the man said, Lord, I do believe, and he worshipped him. I'm so glad that John actually includes that final detail, right? Because this is actually what gets to the heart of the issue of spiritual sight, isn't it? Right, because until you see, until you understand, until you realize that you are in the presence of God, not simply a great teacher, not simply a miracle worker, not simply a prophet, until you realize like this man realized, when he realized that he was in the presence of God, the most natural thing, the most obvious way to respond is always to worship him. Heavenly Father, you, you are the only one who knows what's happening in all of our hearts and all of our lives right now. Father, you, you know the, the questions that, that we struggle with. You know um, those things in, in our past or our present that we just keep bump up, bumping up against that we just can't seem to, to get through. Experiences that we've had, things that we've seen, people that have hurt us. Father, even situations of, of people that we have hurt. And so, Father, I ask, I, I ask for all of us that this morning, that in your grace and in your mercy, that every single one of us listening to this, watching this right now at home, that you would actually give us the, the wisdom to know, Jesus, what it is that you're asking of us right now. Jesus, we know it's you who's asking. We know it's you who's leading. So give us the courage to follow. Give us the faith to trust, even though we may not in this moment see. Jesus, as your followers, for those of us that call you Savior and Lord, um, Jesus, we do, we want to see you clearly. We want to see the reality of who you are clearly. We know that's never going to happen apart from worshiping you. And so Jesus, we ask that as we take these next few moments and as we confess our sin personally to you, that we would make sure that we stop and we see the reality of your cross, the reality of what it is that you've done for each of us personally, 
the reality of your grace. And so, Jesus, we ask that as we confess our sin to you, that you would remind us very personally, very individually, who you are and what it is that you have done for all of us. The good news of the gospel is that your heavenly father does not define you as what you once were. The good news of the gospel is that he sees you as Jesus has made you to be. Redeemed, restored, forgiven, and loved. That he sees you as his precious daughter he sees you as his precious son and he simply invites you to call him father because your sin it has been truly forgiven in Jesus name